Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, part two of your Thanksgiving week Oscar race checkpoints. I am still your co-host, Mike One. This is still your co-host, also Mike, on the line with us. Michael, we did a lot of news in part one. Maybe we slow it down and take a break, just talk about life for part two? <laughs> no, I think we got a lot more news, but I think, uh, I think we got a rousing conclusion to a silly nanny nonsense trailer bracket that we'll yeah, finish with, with. Sure do. I mean, I think... In terms of Oscars podcasting, this is one of the most suspenseful, <laughs> riveting, scintillating yeah. finales we're going to see. Like, this is a r- rousing conclusion to... If this were doing box office, this is like $150 million opening. Easy. Easy. Absolutely. And like we always say, in terms of Oscars podcast, when it comes to MMO, we're one of your choices. We're one so- of... <laughs> It's, uh, look, it's back-to-back recordings for us. We're trying to get it in before the holiday, so we might be a little punchy this episode. A little But punchy. like Mike said, we do have a ton of news to get through. Let's start talking about one of our favorite topics, yes. the Golden Globes. They are officially going to air this year, once again on broadcast, once again on cable, as CBS has picked up their rights. Sunday, January 7th of 2024, from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, they're getting a primetime slot, the slot they've always wanted, at another of the major networks. They went from NBC to CBS. They're probably going to get a host now. We can debate and, and prognosticate on who that might be for the Golden Globes. But this felt like a very muted way to announce what is a monumental development now in award seasons here to forth with Michael because they... If anything, they went to a more popular network. I, I look, yeah. I can't help but cynically marvel at the PR prowess of the people involved here. Like Dick Clark Productions now owns the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. and they did a remarkable job of rejuvenating this brand. So, yeah, look as as far as the ethics of either CBS or the Globes. We've given plenty of time to that. We will give plenty of time for that. There's going to be all kinds of outlets covering that as well. Uh, We've been critical of the HFPA pretty much since the inception of MMO here, even though the HFPA is no longer involved. They were horrible. Just under a different name. It was it was horrible. It was horrible what they did. It was it was horrible that how racist they were. And And thank God none of those people are involved in this anymore. No, they're still. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, a vastly different group, and, it, yeah. and I'm very curious to see how they vote. I really am. So, all of that is necessary, and it's stuff we're going to talk about. But it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. The popularity of the network is the first thing that jumped out at me as well, because when I saw they were going from NBC to CBS, I was thinking strictly about the presentation of the show. CBS is a channel with a markedly and generally older demographic of viewer. Mm -hmm. And the Globes have always been marketed as Hollywood's biggest party, right? And, I mean, at least for me, a lot of the appeal of the Globes was like seeing A-list celebrities who may have been overserved. They may say something they're not supposed to. They're going to take pot shots at whoever they want. I do wonder if that's the allure for not only me but for other people, if that's going to be tightened up a lot by virtue of not only being on CBS, which is, again, a channel that seems to skew older and demographic, but also in terms of this being Dick Clark Productions' first time at bat with this show. Mm. So I do wonder if the presentation is going to radically change versus what we're accustomed to with the usual Golden Globes broadcast. I do wonder as much as well. However, here's my take, and I'm coming out hot. I'm coming out swinging. (laughs) Younger people get old. And the younger people that were alive when the Golden Globes was the world's biggest party or Hollywood's biggest party, they're old now. So they'll just watch this on another network because they're fucking old already. We're old. They're old. We're going to keep watching CBS. Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) Going to be weird, too. I mean, that's going to be, I don't know, is the seventh of football playoff weekend? 
That's a great question. I don't know. I'm not watching CBS a ton is... of football this year. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Oh, well, you're not a Giants fan, are you? Our team the, uh... sucks. <laughs> it's been bad. Because uh, CBS is obviously going to, they usually do have that 4 to 7 p.m. slot mm. on football playoff weekends, but I don't know if the 7th is going to be the last week. Of the I think I read that it's coming after football, yeah. It's going to be yeah. after the football. That'll be great if the Golden Globes has to get bumped a half hour because some weeks 18 Patriots Jets game is going long. <laughs> it's going to happen. Be ready. Good. All right. More to come <laughs> on the Golden Globes, as always. We'll keep that in mind. We'll move now talking about the 8th Critics' Choice Documentary Award winners have been announced. Yeah, and Best Documentary Feature uh, for 2023 went to Still, a Michael J. Fox movie. That is uh, a big pick here. Uh, for and a big win for still, or is it? Because this has been the, this has been the award show, Michael, that has screwed us up <laughs> every year and has screwed over the winners in most years. Let's look yeah. at the recent track record. Uh, so, <laughs> so, good night, Oppie. Doomed after it won the Critics' Choice Sham Documentary Award. Sham of a award. documentary, too. Yeah, Dick Johnson is dead. Doom. Yeah. It's getting snubbed. Apollo 11, snubbed. It's Won't you be my movie. neighbor? Snubbed. Yeah. Jane, done. Yeah. Obviously, Summer of Soul or OJ Made in America, those are the two movies that actually wound up winning the best documentary uh, at the Oscars that won the CCDA. And that and still was a big winner on the night, too, winning other categories at the, uh, the Critics' mm-hmm. Choice Documentary Awards there as well. I... American Symphony, before we even talked about, we're going to talk about its trailer later in this episode, but before I even saw that far down in the dock, that stuck out to me as something that keeps popping up every time there's something to talk about with these documentaries. But I thought you wrote this as a joke. It's it's gaining a lot of momentum now here because in it the, lost. By way of it not winning. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Still a Michael J. Fox movie, and that's a very strong documentary, doomed. Never, it's not getting nominated for an Oscar. No nom. chance. No Zero chance. chance of Michael J. Fox getting an Oscar nom there. So. What, what was the uh, wrestler's song? No chance, no chance in hell. No uh, yeah, ch- it was Vince McMahon. Vince, yeah. McMahon, Vince McMahon. Yeah, there you go. No so, chance in hell. Be on the lookout not to see still come Oscar Sunday, if history has anything to say about it. We also have the 17th Cinema Eye Honors uh, release their nominations. This they week. actually have a much better Oscars crossover. 12 of the last 15 winners have been nominated for Oscars. That's 80%. Four of those 15 have won the Oscar and Best Documentary Feature. So this is this is a much better crossover. So we got to take a look at the Cinema Eye nominees, Michael. 20 Days in Maripol, along with 32 Sounds lead. They have five noms apiece. The Eternal Memory clocks in at four noms. Four Daughters uh, has three noms going to Mars. The Nikki Giovanni Project comes in with four noms. Kokomo City with six noms and still, which just we just talked about, did so well uh, there at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, comes in only with three noms here at the Cinema Eye Honors. Yeah, so Kokomo City actually led the noms there. I yeah, wrote it wrong because I... yeah, I'm Ron Burgundy. I just read what was in front of me and I tried to add my own spin and I shouldn't have. You read the teleprompter, yeah. but uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know you did riff. You riffed on yeah, the Yeah, I did. That's right. I, I opposite of Ron Burgundy did it. 32 Sounds is the new title that uh, is cast on my radar here from Cinema Eye. And this happens like at every one of these documentary feature award shows where I'm like, all right, that's a new documentary. I wonder what it's about. Well, I'll tell you about uh, 32 Sounds as a premise, and we can all guess at what it's about because I still don't know. Explores the elemental phenomenon of sound and its power to bend time, cross borders, or profoundly shape our perception of the world around us. So I'm asking you, Michael, is Mm -hmm. this documentary going to explain the difference between sound mixing and sound editing for us? I think it it will. What I got from that synopsis is that it's about time travel. Time travel. (laughs) Bends time? Sound bends time? We we shall see. So we're going to have to watch 32 Sounds to see what it's about. I tried to look up more premises. It's not here. Not here. Not good. That's weird. I don't know. But, yeah, it's not atypical. Like, you'll see a a variety of opinions by all of these documentary award shows heading into it. And just like we're going to... We're going to read the next set of nominations for the International Documentary Association, which did live up to its name and go much more international, Michael. Apollonia, Apollonia from Denmark landed four nominations, including Best Feature at the IDAs. 
Milthusando from South Africa. I hope I pronounced that right. And the mother of all lies from Morocco. Those landed three noms apiece. Eight of the ten features for best feature are from outside of the United States. Yeah, Going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni project. Great editing in that movie from Sundance. Uh, was one of the two United States-born documentaries here. Uh, the other was Q, uh, which I previewed on a previous episode. Otherwise, Against the Tide, Bobby Wine, the People's President, in the rear view and while we watch those are four other international selections with a fifth and hell 69 from columbia uh, it looked like an acronym i'm not sure how to pronounce that excuse me but that is the again you, you always get a new doc entering the race and that seems like it's about uh it's about drug addiction in columbia if i'm guessing but there's there's wild uh, you remember You're Uncle, guessing about the premise of that? I'm guessing about the premise because it's okay. another premise that I read and that's very long and I don't understand. <laughs> Gave up on halfway through. And all of the pictures I see look like Uncle Boon Me and his past lives. You ever see that movie's poster? What? What? It's a what? it's a guy in the woods with two red eyes. It looks like a ghost. So there's ghosts involved. But I think it's a movie about about filmmakers. It's a documentary about filmmakers making movies about ghosts. And they're on it's, drugs. It's about life and the human condition and how those things intersect. And it has an acronym for a name with 69 at the end of it. Uncle Boon Me? Yeah. Boon a pi- You. A pitch pong. Oh, here, I'm doing it again. I can't, his, <laughs> his beautiful name. A pitch it pong with a sockle. Directed yeah. Uncle Boon Me. None of this has made any sense in the last five minutes. Well, now. we're talking about documentary features, so... <laughs> What else is new? But look at I think uh we, we got <laughs> What <new>. an insult. <laughs> you have made it known that you're not gonna follow the documentary. I am done with this category. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. Until they, they're on probation still. But I want rather than give you guys a summary of what's been nominated so far, I mean you could see there's there's a vast array of films. So we're gonna get short lists for documentary feature at the end of December. Hopefully we'll like well I'll, I will promise a preview on one of these Oscar race checkpoints because we're going to discuss the winners of the Cinema Eye. So I'll give you more of a layout the next time we talk about documentary feature to preview those shortlists uh, before Christmas. So and I will veto that promise. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk right. about Bifa. Uh, they have craft award winners to announce for us in terms of a, uh, a whole award slate that we can kind of sink our teeth into. Nine Bifa categories were picked. There's 15 left to be announced. That'll be on December 3rd. As far as what the winners are thus far, All of Us Strangers has three wins for cinematography, editing, and music supervision on its tally, although it does have 14 noms in total. Femme won two for costumes and makeup and hair design. It has 11 noms. How to Have Sex, one for casting. It has 13 noms. Rye Lane, one for original music amongst its 16 noms. The Kitchen, one production design. It only has two noms. And Innis Men, one for sound. It only had the one nom, so it finishes one for one at BIFA. All of Us Strangers winning three. That does bode well for its chances overall, I would say. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's exciting for All of Us Strangers. It needs that boost to, to, to get into the Oscars conversation. And we talked about the BIFA categories. There's there's some that have some real Oscars relevancy, too, in terms of that international category, which has you know, had a lot of crossover mm-hmm. in the past. So we'll, we'll have to follow BIFAs. We'll talk about them after December 3rd. I also wanted to kind of discuss tribute season, Michael, and because the strikes have finally resolved, tribute season is another term for campaign season beginning in earnest. They kind of intertwine, let's say. And look, the rear view, in the rear view mirror, we have TIFF and we have all the fall film festivals. So we have done Oscar crossovers on some of those notorious awards and notorious tributes in the past, and they've mattered a great deal in the past. We've seen a lot of future Oscar winners get tributes at certain film festivals. Sure. This year we're dealing with Palm Springs. We're dealing with Santa Barbara. So let's take note of the names in the mix right now. We have Palm Springs, Emma Stone, Killian Murphy, and Divine Joy Randolph getting tributes there. Emma How Stone great would it be to see Divine Joy Randolph come into an Oscar now? I, I know you say she's the front runner. I just I worry about the box office for that movie. Yeah. I, I do worry now as well, especially after seeing how good she was in the movie. Yep. 
Emma Stone's also going to host SNL, which you've talked about being a bump in the past. It's certainly been used this, uh, this time of year for an Oscars campaign. I mean, we saw J-Lo do it during her Hustlers campaign that kind of fell short, and Emma Stone getting a lot of publicity, poor things in general getting a lot of publicity, and this is the, the sweet spot for it. So it, it'd be nice to see. Killers of the Flower Moon is going to win the Vanguard Award at Palm Springs, and apparently that's directed by this new TikTok phenomenon, <laughs> Martin Scorsese. His daughter is a, is a big TikToker. <laughs> so yeah, she, uh, she uses him. She invites him in and goes into his office sometimes and puts him on camera and stuff. It's awesome. I love him. I love those TikToks, even though I'm not a big fan of the movie. But Lily Gladstone from Killers of the Flower Moon is going to get a tribute at the Santa Barbara Film Festival along with Divine Joy Randolph. So she's getting two. Greta Lee, Charles Melton of May, December, Ryan Gosling and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, So we're going to have we're going to have a list of names that come out of these festivals that are they're. They're just going to get a boost because I do believe the Academy goes to these festivals and it, it matters. These tribute Schmooze. awards matters. It's the schmoozing matters. We wonder if t- a couple of years ago, if Tom Cruise had schmoozed more, if that would have mattered. Interesting that uh, both Gosling and Robert Downey Jr. are getting their own kind of segments at Santa Barbara too. Mm. Since you would think that category is probably going to end up in a head to head between those two. It's exciting. It's exciting to watch. And I think those races are so tight. My God! So it, it may it may, it might edge some give somebody an edge. It might do it. I've heard. I would think it's tight, and yet I've heard from people in the know, different podcasts and stuff. As uh, God, I wish I could remember names. People attached to like Vanity Fair and The Ringer and stuff. They you know they go to. Oh, I've talked to several people in the Academy, and they're saying Downey Jr. is going to win, mm-hmm. which is not the case if you look at film Twitter. Film Twitter is like advocating hard for Gosling, it would seem. So I would always uh, expect the film Twitter favorite to win. I, I think uh, <laughs> I think that's the way to. That's how you should structure your guesses. I agree. Well, speaking of Ryan Gosling, though, and I do think he's got a great chance because he's in the most popular movie in the world and he's great in it. And Barbie is going to receive a Gotham Awards tribute now, joining Rustin, Maestro, Ferrari, and Air. After Barbie did not do so well in terms of the nominations at the Gotham Awards, which is more of a technicality and more of a taste thing by these small juries saying, no, nah, we're going to keep going indie. So Barbie. And is that why? Like, is it they knew they were going to give Barbie their special award, so that's why they... Because Gotham's have a history of doing that, too. If they, it's a if chicken they know, and the egg. Yeah. It's a chicken and the egg sort of thing. But here's what it screws up, Michael. It screws up the next time I look at all these tribute awards at the Gothams, mm-hmm. and I say, does that nullify the fact that they can get nominations? And this is going to screw me up, because we have, uh, I think it was Ferrari and Barbie got tributes announced after the nominations landed and you had penelope cruz get nominated and you had ryan was it right you had one barbie nom i don't know if it was gosling or not i can't remember i don't remember either anyway we're gonna discuss i wonder if those if those tributes were in the works did they know that beforehand i don't know i don't know we'll never know we're out of the loop (laughs) there's a loop there's two guys named Mike and we're outside of it. But I look, I'm fascinated by how the early season is kicking off. The Gotham's is going to be on YouTube. I think we're going to do an Oscar race checkpoint uh, to follow that up. It might not be the next day because of scheduling, but it, it, it's going to be a, a big show for us as always. Cause it, the Gotham awards mean everything. We know this, but they also, <laughs> they also mean nothing all at once. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do our centerpiece, this part two of the trailer reviews we ought to catch up on bracket, official title, trademarked, yep. and then we're going to finish with uh, reviews of Napoleon and a bunch of other movies that we both watched, Michael. So you are starting us off. You have Poor Things with an extended look trailer, and this is the trailer before the trailer that was released today, so I don't know which trailer this is, but Poor Things extended look trailer versus imaginary which might be in your wheelhouse because it's about a horror ted basically remember the stuff there yeah. seth mcfarland yeah. that's exactly what it is and it's it, it, it attaches some lore to imaginary friends too hmm. um I, I look again i go back this affirms to what i i postulated last episode i don't care who blind picked what i don't care what you say you <laughs> definitely Gave me the one and two seeds because you were afraid that I was going to like 
run free like a wild dog and pick something to upset the <laughs> apple cart and totally turn this tournament on its head by I having picked, a 32 or a 31 seed win. I picked the anyone but you, just the the boobs and man <laughs> bulge movie over a prestigious Oscar film. Didn't I not? You did. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so the I opposite should pick... I can't in good conscience pick Imaginary, even though I want to. I'm going to pick Poor Things, even though it's not really a trailer. It's just like the cast talking about their roles and with inter- intercut with different scenes in the movie. It should pick. I should pick Imaginary, but. Guaranteed, there's way more boobs and bulge in Poor Things than Imaginary. <laughs> and that's what we're all about here. <laughs> MMO guarantees. All right, so you have Eileen, which is the uh, which is the Sundance hit that's coming out with Anne Hathaway in, in uh, early December that we, it's been very intriguing and there's polarizing reviews on it right now, Eileen, but you think it, it's a pretty darn good trailer and it, but here's the problem. It's going against rebel moon, which might've had the worst trailer. First trailer ever was the second. Yeah. Any better. Does it have a chance against Eileen? Michael, the second at least has some story. Eileen, I think is one of the best trailers of the year for me. Good. I mean, it's got no shot at any kind of Oscars. I don't care how good the movie is because it's so like dark and twisted and sexual. It looks almost, but like huh. it's it's Anne Hathaway, Thomas and Mackenzie. I'm not exactly sure what the hell's going on. Uh, maybe some like single white female type vibes in terms of the story. Whatever it is, it's more appealing to me than the Matrix Wars or Star 300 or whatever the Snyder cut of this movie is for Rebel Moon. I, I couldn't. The Rebel Moon just looks like a crossover of like the last three most successful sci-fi franchises all put into a blender and mixed together. Yeah, and the last one was last trailer was awful. So, but you you like this trailer more for Rebel Moon still? Yeah, Eileen is getting the comp that so many movies are getting these days: single white female. Why is that the comp? Is it just you using that comp more than most people? Or is, I think yeah. film Twitter is using that comp. I don't know, but I used it. <laughs> I stand by it. All right, so Eileen versus Poor Things. Who wins? Eileen. Okay. I mean, Poor Things shouldn't be here with that trailer. It's 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 an upset, but it's also not. It's like if the one seed... Like, remember when Kenyon Martin was taking Cincinnati to the nope. one seed and then Kenyon Martin got hurt? Absolutely not. I don't know. Well, that's what happened. They weren't the same. <laughs> In 2000, I think. Good pull. Good Thank job. You. The star player went down right before the tournament. Yeah. Okay, good. Good to know. Uh, no, Kenya Martin. Um, he was a good player. I Don't try it. to save it. Don't try to save it. Just move on. Ferrari, <laughs> Ferrari. Uh, that's the ten seed, and it's Ferrari's trailer too. And I've seen this trailer before every single movie in movie theaters. I can yeah. basically quote it, just like the Nicole Kidman speech right now. <laughs> this trailer think? might might itself be up for best sound. Okay. I mean, it's really, really impressive, the sounds that are coming out of this trailer. So I can only imagine what the movie itself has in store for that category. I feel bad picking, not picking Occupied City in the same way. Like, how can you not, if a documentary's up, it's these really uber serious issues that, like, tug at your heart and your mind. So how could you not pick it? But I'm going to stick with Ferrari uh, just because I feel like I, I at least know where that's headed as far as Oscar's relevancy, even though I know that's not necessarily the the what do you call it? The rubric with which we're to pick these winners. But that's what I'm right. going with, the, how to break the tie between those two. So Occupied City had a decent trail, even though that's yeah. a four-hour documentary. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't stress that. And had I known that, I would be campaigning against it just out of principle. Just out of principle. All right, so Ferrari is your first winner there. And it's going against either Napoleon or the 26th seed, Lisa Frankenstein. Yeah, it's Lisa Frankenstein, and I will not be speaking further on this issue. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, credit to Diablo Cody for watching Drop Dead Fred and Edward Scissorhand in succession the day after her weird science marathon, because that's the only way you could have come up with Lisa Frankenstein, I guess. <laughs> it's it's a mixture of those three movies. That's what stuck out to me. But, uh, Napoli, if Ferrari is being picked because I know which Oscars category it's competing in, Napoleon could be a multi-time nom- time nominee if you're basing your guesses just off the trailers. Never mind how the movies actually play out in real life. Uh, but Napoleon, to me, is everything you're looking for. you got an A-list star who's a great actor playing in a biopic. It's a war movie. It's got conflict. It's got sex. It's all that fun stuff. It's got a review coming later in this episode, and it's also got a Black Sabbath 
right? Is, is that yes. a Black Sabbath Redux? Which I think is also the uh, the uh, theme music for Survivor Series, which is happening this weekend for WWE. So big, big weekend for Ozzy Osbourne. Okay, so Lisa Frankenstein was a fake pick by you. It's actually Napoleon it's winning. Napoleon, yeah. I'm, I'm just sad I don't have any upsets. So Napoleon versus Ferrari. I'm going with Napoleon. Okay. I, they're very similar in terms of the uh, what I just said, A-list star, <laughs> sex appeal, et cetera, et cetera, and what you want to base your, uh, your like of your trailers off of. It's just that uh, Napoleon, to me, looks like a cooler movie of the two. All right, so that totally means subjective. Napoleon goes up against Eileen for your quarter of this side of the bracket. What did I pick here? I think I picked Eileen, didn't I? I think you picked Eileen. Yeah, I'm sticking with her. I really, really like that Eileen trailer, and I have no idea what's going on in that movie. She is a prison warden, and or not a warden, but She's she an works int- in prison. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, uh, what's Anne Hathaway is like a prison psychiatrist, and yes. Thomas and McKenzie is like her intern. Right. Or that, works elsewhere in the prison. I can't tell, but so, they're yeah, dancing but at Christmas parties together. They get a they get very close to each other, and Thomas and Mackenzie gets told secrets by Anne Hathaway that could ruin Anne Hathaway. But obviously, Thomas and Mackenzie does something with the, that trust, and it's like it looks like an erotic thriller with some A list uh, potential behind it. Well, we're in for that. All right, so Eileen's going to go against uh, my side of the bracket. I will say Maestro's trailer, two is better than Damsel's trailer, but two very good trailers from Netflix here. I'm in for Damsel. I want to see this with Millie Bobby Brown because it looks like this epic fantasy, and it's sticking to, like, epic fantasy core values here. Like, you have... Uh, a, a main hero versus nature. Like she's climbing a mountain. It's crazy. Like, what is she doing? She's being hunted by a dragon inside that mountain before she climbs it. So I like, I'm totally in for all of that. Uh, I love, I love the damsel trailer. The problem is it's going against maestro. And again, I, I arbitrarily ordered these, not ordered these, but I, I ordered these and then the matchups were what the matchups were. I was just going to stick with it. So Netflix mm-hmm. on Netflix here, but maestro is the better trailer. And it's a better trailer because it gives us the ah oh, shock say man voices like you got to get used to those from Maestro. I've seen the movie already. It's another weird situation where if you picked orange, I would have. Uh, or if you picked green instead of orange, I yeah. would have had a lot of movies that I had not seen. But you mm. pick you picked the side. Do you of the bracket. think that played into it? Into your into your picks? I want to rewatch Maestro after watching this trailer. So that's the, okay. how I kind of I wanted to pick the best trailer based on which movie I wanted to watch more, and the fact that I'm rewatching some of the best scenes between Bradley Cooper and Carey Mulligan, and I'm getting glimpses of the great performances, but they're not showing the great performances in the Maestro trailer. They're just cutting to the core of the emotion of it. That really worked to me. So they're showing a lot of conflict. They're setting you up. A lot of people pick this Maestro trailer as the best of the year. I'm not quite there with it, but I'm definitely picking Maestro over Damsel. 14 is the Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. I don't know how, but it got matched up with Craven the Hunter's trailer too. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. When I watched Craven the Hunter's trailer too, I thought it was a fake trailer. It was so bad. <laughs> like I loved Craven the Hunter's trailer one. Back when it was supposed to come out in October or whatever the hell. Right. Craven the Hunter's trailer 2 is a fake trailer. Maybe it was a fake trailer. I don't know. It looked terrible. So by default, Ghostbusters Ghostbusters Frozen Empire is going to win. But it's okay. Like, I mean, the White Walkers are coming to New York City and Jersey and whatever. Paul Rudd's going, (laughs) I love Paul Rudd. (laughs) The monster. It wasn't a bad trailer. I liked the trailer. It wasn't bad. So, Another, you're, you're incorporating the elder generation. I wonder if they're going to, at some point, bring back the 2016 revival uh, of those four women who tried to do the Ghostbusters revival. It was it was good in 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 terms of on paper, but they didn't execute it that well. Right. The movie wasn't great, but maybe. Maestro is going to beat the Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, so we'll see what's going against maestro here. We have more Netflix American symphony versus Garfield. This is another impossible choice, Michael, because <laughs> two great trailers. I got stuck with two great trailers. The Garfield trailer might be the most adorable thing you ever watch. <laughs> and it's for me to pick against the Garfield trailer, which is just about somebody who loves food, eating food like this cat. I don't know if you know, Garfield 
loves to eat lasagna, loves yeah, to eat I've... pizza. Lo- it, it's the most celebratory food eating festival ever. Did you ever watch the cartoon? I have watched the cartoon. Yeah. Of course, I've watched Garfield. It's adorable. This is an adorable trailer. I cannot wait to see Garfield. However, American Symphony as a trailer and as a real life documentary situation here involving John Batiste. I was crying watching this trailer. Yeah. I had no idea him and his fiance were fighting through her cancer diagnosis like this. I had no idea it was hitting during the pandemic, during his meteoric rise from, you know, band leader for the Colbert show to pop star leading Grammy nominee. And he's dealing with life, uh, you know, as his career skyrockets, he's dealing with his, his life falling apart. I can't wait to see the movie American Symphony, so I, ha- I have to I mean, pick it. Yeah, you do have to pick it. And it, when, it, when a documentary has a good premise, it's going to have a great trailer. It's almost impossible to screw that up. And this one is really something that pulls right at your heartstrings. It works so well. So All right, so American Symphony goes against the winner of The Boy and the Heron or Wicked Little Letters. All right, Wicked Little Letters is not a funny trailer. They tried to make it funny. But it's just Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley mother effing everybody. It's an uncensored trailer. <laughs> just, just despicable pirate language in this Good. trailer. And it's great. I love that. But it's just not funny. So it's a rough set. It's awkward. But I want to see the movie. I hear it's okay. Wicked Little Letters did not put out a good trailer. The Boy in the Heron essentially reduxed the Japanese trailer for the English trailer. It's Gonzo. It's it's gonna lo- it's gonna win here. It's gonna lose to American Symphony. Easy. Okay. There's no way I could pick it over. So American it almost Symphony. wins by default. Yeah. So, but but it's it, beautiful animation. We get a little more. The problem is the voice of Cobra Commander from GI Joe is mm-hmm. the voice of the Heron. <laughs> like who did that? <laughs> Why? Skull face from He Man. Until we meet again. <laughs> Cobra Commander! <laughs> like, who, which, which, I want to know. Is it Robert Pattinson? Who who did it? Like, it's a big-name American actor, apparently. Christian Bale? Did he decide to do that? I, I no. need to I need, I need need to know. It Is was that... going to be Jason Schwartzman, but it was, they replaced him with Adam Sandler at the last second. <laughs> here's, the, here's the craziness <laughs> about Adam Sandler, I'm going to tell you in the Leo review, is that he was so disciplined... Or the movie was so disciplined, and he's trying to he's trying to get it down to to the level. But no, that movie was disciplined. Anyway, we'll get there. Uh, uh, it was Christian Bale, I believe. Christian Bale did the Heron. Was in that Sol-Chi voice? Maki. Christian Bale for the English version. Oh, Dave Batista is the Parakeet King. <laughs> of course he is. All right, did it, it, I'm picking American Symphony over Maestro. Because of how emotional that trailer made me, even though Maestro, the film, made me quite emotional. So, all right, we have American Symphony versus your side of the bracket winner, Eileen. And then we got to pick our winner overall against the other side of the bracket, which is American Fiction, Michael. So, mm-hmm. American Symphony versus Eileen. And I am willing to be swayed in your direction if you want to go with Eileen, but I don't think you do. You want to go no, with American Symphony. No, I, I mean, it's tough to pick against American Symphony and that story with that music behind it and knowing how talented John Batiste is and seeing his struggle with the personal life on top of it. I wonder if they're going to talk about why he left the Colbert show, which he did. I wonder if this was part of it. Uh, he left, I think, a year ago. Uh, I, I don't know if this had anything to do with it. I wonder if they're going to get into that. He just seems like a genuinely, like, just a decent dude. Uh, and like a very humble and very kind person every time he was on the Colbert uh, show and was given time to speak. So to see him fighting this in private is like really eye-opening and shocking stuff. So like, it's tough to pick against a really uh, interesting and intriguing documentary in general for these types of things. So I'm going to vote for American Symphony over American Fiction as well. And I'm going to say the deciding part of my vote here the reason why i'm voting american symphony is i am in awe of the cinematography and the editing in that trailer like that was a perfectly constructed trailer in my mind but the cinematography we're gonna get in that movie is like you know 50 million dollar level work i was blown away like we got 
I mean, we got the top of the Met or the top of Carnegie Hall zooming mm-hmm. down, watching this man conduct an orchestra. We got like this low angle stuff. We got him, the, we, the beautiful stills that we've all seen of him in the ocean and the, you know, the clear blue water, but we know what he's dealing with. And it's just crystal clear cinematography, never mind the water. I, I'm in awe of that cinematography. We've been waiting for like documentary features to break through more categories, but if the cinematography is as good in the movie as it was in the trailer, I'm going to be banging the table for it. That's why I, I mean, it's part of the reason at least, but it seems like American symphony is gaining legs. Good. And maybe it's just due to exposure and maybe more people are getting to it. Maybe more people are seeing what it's about, but I don't know to me that just it, what it feels like an indescribable feeling. I have no evidence to back it up with. American fiction, again, we're going to see that and review it ASAFP, but I am now I am now thoroughly excited for American Symphony, the documentary, based on that trailer. So kudos to Netflix. They win. American Symphony wins are... <laughs> As an 11 seed. Yeah. Trailer, catch-up, bracket, whatever the hell we called it. It's a nice, that's a nice... Uh, maybe we should do that more often. It's a nice upset pick. If we I fall should... behind... I should yeah. lay odds on those matchups more often. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's all we, we need done now. That if I had we'll, time. So we'll, yeah, yeah, we, we we will fall behind a month in our trailer reviews, and then we'll now now we're going to put odds on it. Right, and then the next step will be taking money on the action. <laughs> I just want to turn us into a gambling warehouse. I I realize this. I am the <laughs> the final, the one and only, <laughs> the one and only thing standing Obstacle in your way. Obstacle in the way. Yeah. All right, we're going to finish with a Make the Case segment. It's going to feature right here a a review of Napoleon, which I saw last night. So it's another movie where I'm probably going to say wait and watch it at home. But then again, this movie does go fast. it, It is long, but it felt fast for some reason. The tempo Did it was feel up. like two and a half hours. No, it didn't. I, I mean, I had a huge popcorn. I was in. I was in for it. And maybe this is maybe this is because I'm part film bro. Okay. I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering how much of a film bro I am. I'm wondering how much the bros are going to like this movie because Napoleon is the ultimate bro, bro. And <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix playing Napoleon is the ultimate bro move, bro. So when we You're have, doing a hell of a job selling this. I'm doing a terrible job. I love the battle scenes, but I love the unintentional comedy. I love Napoleon, the movie, B plus 88 all day, because of how unintentionally funny it is. I think it's unintentionally funny. There's no way Ridley Scott made him have sex like a badger. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. We discussed this already. Yeah, <laughs> Vanessa Kirby and Joaquin Phoenix having fake sex in a movie (laughs) is the funniest sex scene since Lady Gaga and Adam Driver Driver had sex in the Ridley Scott movie. House of Gucci. So I also like Ridley Scott just putting like putting it all on the table, too, because when he was talked talking about Martin Scorsese on uh, when Napoleon came out, he was like, I've made four movies in the time it's made Scorsese to make Flower Moon. I would love taking a shot at him for no reason. I would love a trash talk contest between Ridley Scott and Martin <laughs> Scorsese. That, That's what we need is more old white men going at each other. Maybe they can run the country too while they're at it. Oh my God. But, but look, I think Napoleon actually deserves a longer cut. I, this is the first time I'm ever going to say, wow. this, but I wanted more like I, but here's the problem with Napoleon, like the Vanessa Kirby, and uh napoleon walking phoenix romance like i don't understand it enough like i love the arc of it it's it's really meaningful and emotional and it works and you're fascinated to watch it it's like a train wreck for christ's sake but it's like i don't get like the courtship makes no sense to me he just looks at her at the party and they stare at each other and then yeah he's in and she's a king at that point no not yet. No. So, but it's it's a great movie in terms of palace intrigue, and I don't know what you call it, but when politics are done in a chamber, it doesn't get better than Napoleon. Like it's just a, like one big room, all of the uh, Congress is there, or the consuls, or whatever the hell they were. I didn't learn shit about history is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I did not learn my history, but I had fun watching this all this wild shit go down. 
in uh, post-revolutionary France. As long as you understand it's a movie, it's a fictitious telling of what right. happened and not actually a historical document. But the French politics on display were equal parts horrifying and entertaining. Couldn't look away. <laughs> <And> downright sexy. <laughs> My theater was sold out, essentially. Oh, like, wow. Almost Good. every single part. It wasn't like the biggest theater in, uh, in, in, the, in the building, but it was sold out. Like, I, and I'm impressed because I went like, you know, late, you know, four o'clock yesterday on a Tuesday of Thanksgiving yeah, week. Midday, yeah. So it was, that's big. But here's the problem. Like, this movie's supposed to do like 22 million domestically and then like another 22 million overseas for 44 million on a five-day opening weekend that's not great if it's on a two million 200 million dollar budget for napoleon no that's 22 million domestically certainly would not be uh that means it's going to be shy of 100 usually world and, or, or at least domestically a total for its rake and i'm getting bothered by how many pundits are talking about all of these apple films like it's apple it's funny money they don't care $200 million budget doesn't have to make its money back in theaters. They're going to put it on streaming. Like, of course it matters. Of course they want to be profitable, don't they? Sure, but at the same time, they just committed to doing a billion dollars for theatrical stuff anyway, so it's not like they're trying to turn a profit with their movie sector. I, you don't have to worry about money with Apple right now. <laughs> I guess so. But Napoleon you know? should be a major Oscar contender in sound, VFX, costumes, for certain like that is next level work like you, you look at the number of costumes in this movie never mind the quality of them holy shnikes uh production design we've been there uh, i would expect a, this to compete in costumes minimum yeah and probably sound makeup and hairstyling cinematography yep. is incredible yep. the editing is incredible we've seen a lot of ridley scott movies get nominated Joaquin? it's he's he's so freaking funny in this movie He's just way too funny to, okay. to nominate. He's he's better, in my opinion, in Bo is Afraid. But he is like, he's great in this. Don't get me wrong. Of course he is. But he's he is Napoleon in an American accent this entire <laughs> film. And he's walking around just like strutting his stuff. And just, he's the ultimate bro. He's just walking in a room. It's like, I own you. Jonesy. What's so, happening, my man? That's who, that's the way he is with his his armies. He's the man. He is the man. He's just like, yo, have a piece of bread. Yo, here's your bread. <laughs> High five. And he's like dapping up every single person. Look, he's just giving out bread. <laughs> he doesn't do anything for our country. Uh, Vanessa Kirby's performance is awesome. She'd be the more Oscar nominee likely hood, okay. I would say. If I could speak any slower and more pause, pause anymore. But uh, yeah, but B plus 88. I'm curious for you to watch this in your, you know, four sittings. Uh, yeah. Minimum. At home minimum. And see if you, if you like it or not. Because On my it's, phone. But it's very episodic. Like this should have been like a John Adams miniseries. Really should have been. But I am gonna, interested to see it. They're going to do the four hour cut, I think, which might That's be a better movie. Unnecessary. Just unnecessary. <laughs> All right. Speaking of unnecessary, no, I'm kidding. Please, How dare you? please don't destroy this treasure of Foggy Mountain. This is a make the case Oscars segment. No, of course not. What, what did you think of this movie, Michael? It might be the best movie of the year. <laughs> I, I was there. I don't know what it is about these three guys. The please don't destroy kids from SNL. Their humor is just perfectly my kind of humor. The quick cuts to like somebody just yelling something that does like what. <laughs> like, that, that'll land with me every time there's some hard laughs in this for me i gave it an 89 b plus i love this movie oh i love the experience God. i i'm extremely high on this and it's a completely biased and subjective take so this reminded me a lot of of weird the al yankovich story yes and you had a high grade for that one yes. too right with daniel Radcliffe. just make me laugh man just make me laugh so that's great that's great please don't destroy made me laugh really hard for like the first 40 minutes and then yeah the, the last 40 minutes not so much and then it's a batshit crazy nonsense story it's insane yeah and i mean even the treasure they're trying to find this bust of marie antoinette it looks like a three dollar hand-painted thing you find at costco like it's <laughs> everything about that movie is <laughs> even the opening scene when they break all the eggs against the side of the wall it's in the trailer it's like guess we're having pad time oh <laughs> just so stupid funny stupid funny i agree um 
Conan O'Brien was a standout to right. me as well. He was great. He's never <laughs> he was perfect. in movies. He's never in movies. I listened And somebody to... made this point. When he is in movies, he's only playing himself. Right. Like, this is one of the first times he's actually played a character with lines. I listened to the interview he did with Please Don't Destroy on Conan O'Brien. Needs did you? The podcast. I haven't heard it yet. It, it's really funny. Just, just I, you know, I was just gonna do the Chris Farley show and and spout out a joke. I'm not gonna do that now. Just go listen to that episode if you're a fan. I mean, it's a total nepo baby situation with them because John Higgins. Well, John Higgins is the son of Steve Higgins, who's the uh, voice guy, one of the producers of Jimmy Fallon's show, has been a longtime producer of SNL. Uh, Martin, I think. Uh, Hurley, I think is his name. Uh, his father has also been in the business for years and years. So, it, like, I don't care. <laughs> if you're good enough, you're good enough. Like, Allison Williams made that point, too. Like, yes, it's a Nepo baby, but if I'm good enough, that still means I belong here. Like, I agree. They're good enough. I uh, I think they're funny as hell. And, yeah, I gave it a B grade, too. So it's, it's still a good movie to me. Leo. I don't know if you watched Leo yet, the animated yet. film about the lizard, the Adam Sandler Adam movie. Adam Sandler, yeah. I wonder if you'll like this much more than me. Because, again, <laughs> it, it, I am a sucker for everything Adam Sandler. Well, here's I the very thing. much am. He's doing his crazy Adam Sandler stuff. But mm-hmm. this is actually like a well-constructed, meaningful especially to kids story. Like this is a great story about teaching children like valuable ethical lessons. And the only problem is it's just like this fucking lizard <laughs> who's Mr. Rogers. With this voice. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty. Well, yeah. It's- <laughs> Sandler has a history of that, right? Like his, the hotel Transylvania voice he has is ridiculous. All that franchise does is print money. The whitey voice he had in eight crazy nights is this insane. Is, this is like the whitey voice or closer to, but I love that movie. It's funny. It, yeah. And this movie's funny too, but there's, here's the crazy thing about this movie. It's there's not quite as many bad jokes. Like most Good. of them are fine. But Any they, chance at all for animated feature, a nomination? Ah, uh, no, no. Okay. But it's actually probably should be. It should be in the mix there. Okay, it should be, but it won't be. Okay. That's my guess. All right, you and I both watched this next movie, Albert Brooks defending my life on eight on Max, right? Yes. What'd you think? I was not crazy about it. And I like Albert Brooks. I love Rob Reiner. I love his father, Carl Reiner. Uh, it's all Hollywood royalty. The stories were funny. But I just, I you know, it's it's a puff piece, which is fine. It's propaganda. I mean, we've had no problem with that before. I just couldn't stay invested for the duration of the entire thing. So I knew nothing about his comedy career. I knew nothing about his directorial career. I, this was a blind spot for me. Albert Brooks was a total blind spot. So I felt like I learned a lot. And I only have known Albert Brooks from like Broadcast News Drive. I think I might have watched one of his films. I think I watched The Muse back in the day. Okay. I might have watched Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World. Okay. Watched two of his movies, but I never saw all the movies that made him a star and that made him a star director at a time. So I have to go back and watch these movies eventually, I guess, because I like the clips I saw. I like the backstories. I'll tell you what I didn't realize about it. I didn't realize he was a stand-up to start. Right. I had no idea. I thought he was born and bred in the industry. So that was interesting to learn. Yeah, I agree. I thought he was uh, an actor. That, that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I was very ignorant to his career, and now I'm very curious to to kind of go back and watch his CV. So It's informative. Th- th- on that basis alone, I'm probably giving this doc a B- because I was engaged. I really was. So I'm in the same range. I think it was C+, plus, C, okay. C plus on it, yeah. All right. I also watched Maxine's Baby, the Tyler Perry story. I almost hit play on this last night, and I didn't. I was a big fan. I was very glad to uh, click play on this because I had no idea his about his life either. Totally ignorant to Tyler Perry's real life. Uh, the fact that he was he'd been through so much pain and trauma with his with his dad's and and with his dad and that story. Oh really? my God! To to for him to find refuge in his community and in his art form and in the women of his life. I, I really had no idea. And to watch that unfold in this documentary summary, essentially, to watch him tell his own story through these through these interviews, uh, talking head documentary style, it really was something else. And I, I'm glad to watch it. As biodocs go, this is really strong. And then <laughs> this is like the return of the king 
of documentaries, Michael, because this ending seemed like a 40 minute ending <laughs> about the triumphs of his career. But here's the thing. He's been so darn successful. Yes. It makes sense in retrospect yes. because he's had one unadulterated success after another in terms of box office, but in terms of mostly his uh, his his life as a media mogul with Tyler Perry Studios and with all of his work in television. So the the fact that this movie is it has it doesn't know how to end itself, and there's like forty minutes of one ending after another. Literally, yeah. the Return of the King. Yeah, but I, I feel people like love that movie. <laughs> I don't know if this one was directed by Peter Jackson, though, but I feel like there's this feeling about Tyler Perry out there that people who aren't, like, obsessed with the industry just think of Medea and, oh, he's the Medea guy, and how does he keep making money? I don't understand it. And then if you know anything about him, it's like, oh, he's, like, a real-life superhero. <laughs> I, was re- I was in awe of how much criticism he included in this movie. Really? Both, Good. Both in terms of criticism against him at the time like spike lee doing an interview saying i can't stand medea or whatever oh at the time and then spike lee at the end of the movie totally reversing his course and and loving tyler perry so that Mm. was very cool Cool. to watch however there's a bunch of other critics who are talking heads in the documentary just eviscerating tyler perry's work on the stage and on the screen especially with the medea franchise so and how many people how many people in charge of their own ducks like are gonna put that in you know what i mean i was shocked feather in his cap so yeah i mean he's really including both sides i i I did not expect that so that that's balls to to have that in your documentary so make him credit well i tell you what tyler perry could probably do whatever he wants he's really that much of a force of nature at this point but but yeah to see him overcome what he has and to build that from scratch build that empire is incredible so yeah b85 all day structurally it's return of the king too many endings but otherwise very good all right uh the ladybird diaries not so much very disappointed by that one i'm not gonna get mired in it but ultimately the ladybird johnson story and and these recordings should have had more they should have had more i don't maybe i was expecting more dirt but this was like a very polished, measured, arm's length recount of one of the most turbulent presidencies ever by Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. And Lady Bird Johnson was just like very polite about everything. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's a C plus. There's like no fire there. I, I was very, sh- I was shocked by that. Yeah, you want uh, more controversy. One more documentary, David Holmes, The Boy Who Lived. This is about Daniel Radcliffe, a Harry Potter stunt double on the Harry Potter series who had a tragic accident as a stuntman for Harry Potter, uh, got paralyzed. This is about their friendship and about, was he paralyzed on set? Paralyzed on set. There's an accident. There's a stuntman accident. So it was a great movie about, uh, I mean, a great movie about behind the scenes in Hollywood about these stunt people coming together, about all of his friends involved about this terrible accident, obviously, but about how the industry and how, you know, Daniel Radcliffe's taking care of them. It's really incredible. So great guys, just a great friendship movie. B86 all day. I adore Daniel Radcliffe forever after David Holmes, the boy who lived. And yeah, yeah just good, good stuff. Uh, otherwise, we wanted to finish up with a couple more. But Night of the Hunted was one we both watched. You recommended this to me. Yeah. On, on Shutter. Shutter. I'm glad I watched it. And I, I hope you appreciate this review. It's like Splinter. You remember Splinter? Yes. Which is about the porcupine monster that quartered people inside of the gas station. Well, Night of the Hunted is like Splinter, just minus the porcupine monster. <laughs> with a with a deadly sniper as opposed to a porcupine. <laughs> I I really enjoyed this. It got a little long in the middle, because there's only so many ways you can get cornered in a gas station. Yes. However, we got one of the more satisfying badass finales Mm -hmm. i'm with you in a while b85 another really strong movie uh i'll end with monica which is about a woman tracy lissette who comes home to care for her dying mother patricia clarkson and patricia clarkson's mother character does not recognize her since she's transitioned it's been like 20 years 
So mm. it's truly like a heartbreaking drama here that they could have taken in such an over-the-top way. And the restraint to make this movie about the subtleties and the nuances and the almost the scenes. Like, she wrote this movie in between the big Oscar reel scenes, which I loved. So it's a movie about her and her brother reconnecting over a beer, sitting by the pool, talking about nothing. I just really love that. So Monica is about like all these moments in between, which is kind of like real life anyway, especially when you're dealing with tragic and, you know, tragedy and whatnot. It's about these little moments. So Monica is a very powerful family story about forgiveness and reconciliation. Another strong be all day. Another movie I watched on AMC plus Michael. So I would recommend Monica as well. It's been a cool year for family dynamic movies too. Uh, uh, the holdovers being one. What was the one I was very high on that Michael Sarah did? The adults. Yeah, the adults. That was a good one too. So yeah, I'm glad to see Monica. Glad to hear Monica is gonna fit right in with that. With the, uh, you know, different dynamics about what makes family family. It, it was impressive. It really was, and it's not something you see every day. We, we watch all these big Oscar grabby movies, right? With all, with all right. the other ones, and yeah, if they, they were going for Oscars here, they had the goods, but they didn't go that route, and I really appreciated it. Well, something that's not Oscar-y and not Oscar-grabby was Fool's Paradise, which was the Charlie Day directorial debut, and, like, everyone from Always Sunny was in it, and uh, <laughs> everybody was in it. Like, Ray Liotta was in it, and Jason Baton was in it. This movie, I don't want to, like, talk too bad about it, but I genuinely couldn't remember. I saw, I was looking at my list of movies I watched, and I saw Fool's Paradise, and I'm like, what the hell is Fool's Paradise? When did mm. I watch that? I had to actually Google what this movie is to remember what it was and having seen it it did not leave a very uh, lasting impression on me is what i'm trying to say i'm bumped out and i i've been avoiding it since obviously the review slammed it but i'm glad you're courageous enough to watch something but you had to because you're such a charlie day fan right i'm just bummed that he didn't he didn't get get it done bummer um something that was better and worth a watch royal hotel uh really good it's like a, a solid b on the b minus line it's tough after watching Julia Garner be such a badass in both Ozark and the clips of Inventing Anna that I've seen. Okay. Like, she's kind of reserved and pulled back and fearful and scared and a little helpless somewhat in this, which is tough to watch because every scene that she's in where she has to act that way, I'm like, come on, you're Julia Garner. Just kick mm. his ass, you mm. know? Like, just lash out. Say something verbally assaulting to him. But, like, obviously she's playing a different character and that's not what happens. That's not this movie. So if you can separate yourself from that, you'll probably have a more enjoyable time. It was a struggle for me because I have her so attached to that Ozark character. But the movie's really good. I mean, it's it's keeps you... It doesn't keep you... It kind of keeps you guessing. Hmm. But the plot is pretty straightforward nonetheless. I've been wanting to watch The Royal Hotel for a while. I, I haven't... You know, I've been telling myself I need to spend less money on movies. And the fact that it's $6 right now... There, well, here's the thing. There's so many movies on our streaming services right now mm-hmm. that are free essentially right that's true that's true so we've been i've been checking off like i i I make it orange on my list when there's a movie available that that's for free on streaming so i've been knocking off all my orange movies and i've been saying Mm. let me let me go easy on the yellow Mm. i could buy you know i could buy another christmas present you know if i don't spend all this money on the yellow movies which are Five bucks, ten bucks. Yeah, my counterpoint would be it's like seven bucks. It's like seven bucks. I know, but but they add up when you buy like. Nah, it's if it's under ten dollars, it's free. (laughs) (laughs) Mister Moneybag Scrooge McDuck over here says seven dollars. Don't. Anyway, I have been, but that's my rationalization why I haven't watched it. And I feel guilty because I've wanted to see it. No, that makes sense. It is. It is worth the watch. I I mean, it's worth the seven bucks too if you ever do want. Good. Pop it down. Um, I watched Matt Reif's comedy special, or at least the first half of it, because it was such a point of controversy on TikTok over the last few days. What's that, that on? See like... it. It's on Netflix. Okay. Um, he took off on TikTok, wildly viral, wildly famous right now. But there was all this controversy attached to he, he went on like not the talk show circuit, but he did a lot of podcasts where he himself was saying, you know, I have a lot of my fan base is generally a lot of women and. I'm not a woman comic. I wrote, I write a lot of stuff for men's. I want to be a guy's comic. So, you know, I, I don't like being famous just for my good looks. I want to be famous for my comedy because I've put my time into this. This is what I've struggled for. I've been at this for however many years, yada, yada. And that's a completely understandable position. Hmm. Um, so he skyrockets to fame on TikTok on the back of a lot of crowd work clips that he's done. And he's great at crowd work. 
He's outstanding at it. Very funny, very witty, very quick. But he made such a big deal about having written this comedy special for guys, and he wants to be a guy's comedian. And the first joke he comes out with is one about domestic violence. That's how he starts off his special. Now, it's not like a joke that a billion other stand-ups haven't made either. So, like, there was a big backlash against that one joke in particular, but it's also a joke you've heard a zillion times. That doesn't make it right, but it's like not like some kind of new offensive ground that he's shown everyone. The biggest problem I have with this outside of that, it, it just wasn't funny. Oh, like and not like it was offensive or it was misogynistic. Like, I think he's just someone who does better riffing, improving with somebody in the crowd than he is writing down material at this point in his career. Like, I got through more than half of it and I did not laugh one time. And I at the at the point I stopped, it, I was like, all right, I, I get it. I've seen enough. This in and of itself, just it wasn't funny. And if you're going to start off with that joke, that makes it even more of an issue, I think. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, you've done the job of. Uh, I will never watch that now. Yeah, it's not. Worth it's it. fine. But it's I, yeah, I, you know, I was I was intrigued by his celebrity, but I, I didn't know any of the backstory. He, like he comes off as a very charming and very charismatic person in podcasts, in interviews, on the clips of it's So I, it's easy to see, and he is good looking. It's easy to see why he's gone viral. Maybe it was too early for a Netflix special. Maybe he needs to mature a little bit. His response, by the way, was abhorrent. I mean, his response to the to the controversy has been, to me, is way worse than the joke itself. Oh, no. he, he put out a, uh, a thing on, I think it was Instagram, saying that if you uh, if you're ever offended by a joke I've ever made, then this link is for you. And it was a link to a special needs helmet. It's like, oh God, dude, what? come on. Yeah, yeah, it was that was abhorrent. But anyway, so. Yeah, it's, it's. I don't even know this person. All right, we we've wasted enough time on him. Then worthy fuck, of the criticism and critique. Yeah, right, worthy of the criticism. You can go. Screw um, I'll end on a high note, and it's not a movie, even though I think it's something that should be up for best picture this year. I've been playing the Spider-Man Two video game, and I'm not done with it, but I'm almost done with it. It's so good and so well written and so dramatic. It should be up for best picture this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Well, I mean, look at the way things are going. We're gonna get adaptations of video games like crazy. So the the CBM fix is to ba- base these movies on very popular video video games. I think mm. that's coming, right? Like that's all probably the Arkham, in the pipeline. Yeah, yeah. All the D- DC should go towards the Arkham video games or whatever they. You know, yeah, they, they should. You're absolutely right. And you're absolutely Marvel, right. watch that. Marvel should do this. Spider Man Two, the game. Obviously, yeah. you got to connect the branding somehow, make it clear to people, but. Well, and what and what's in, partially what's intriguing about that is that part of the the game mixes Peter Parker and Miles Morales. It mixes their stories together. They're both Spider-Man in this world, and they deal with a lot of classical villains. And there's this huge arc with one of the villains. Like it's just really, really well done. And if you don't like the like we said, I think it was last episode. Maybe it was this one. I can't remember. But like, if you don't like the multiverse idea. <laughs> I think it was last episode. You can, I mean, there. This is these are stories in which you can avoid the multiverse altogether. I mean, it's proof okay. that it, it happens. That being said, I love the Spider Verse, and oh, yeah. I, I'm very curious about my rewatch of uh, Across the Spider Verse because that's been my number one movie for a while, and I haven't rewatched it since the theaters. I also am curious about. It. I'm curious because I my only issue with that was that it was a, a little too long in the middle. Mm. I wish it was cut down a little bit, but yeah, mm-hmm. I would be curious if I were to rewatch it now. Probably gonna, probably yeah. gonna. Are you gonna rewatch Oppenheimer too? At some point, I would imagine. Ah, yeah. I'm so tempted just to buy it. And here's here I'm, I am are you on physical media. Yeah, I'm just tempted to buy it. I mean, thirty bucks. It's like thirty bucks. You or... have to. I mean, I, I you're gonna come around to my side of things when it comes to physical media. Because I, that... these streaming networks are playing all these games and they're deleting all this stuff. And it's mm. turning back into cable. And mm. Physical media is going to be around. I'm staring at like a lot of Blu-rays right now, next to Funko Pops. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not you're totally a, you're out a of simple it. man. You like what you like. <laughs> well, we did it. Two two episodes. There you go. In back one to back sitting recordings, and hopefully you listen to them both on this uh, Thanksgiving week or weekend. Uh, as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts, both on anything we said in this episode and anything we say here in the MMO Empire. As always, you can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you listen to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate 
appreciate what we do here. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, tell the good people what's coming next, and let's have some words of wisdom to end this Thanksgiving weekend on. Well, we'll definitely do an Oscar race checkpoint after the Gothams, and I think we'll probably incorporate the New York Film Critics Circle winner. Uh, those are some fun crossovers to discuss. They've, there are always some intriguing selections from that particular critic's body, which is going to kick off, in, in many ways, a lot of these critics' associations and that scoreboard that Next Best Picture does, and a lot of our friends in film Twitter will be voting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not critics, huh? Shout out to box office boys there. Every time they say, oh, I'm just doing the Chris Farley show. Every time they say, we're not critics, they go, huh? I don't know why. I still don't get it. But it's just funny every freaking time, and I hate them for it because it's funny. And I'm plagiarizing them with that joke. Anyway, Good. you laughed. But we're not critics, huh? But Gotham's and uh, Gotham's and the New York Film Critics Circle are going to kick off kick off all the critics. So that's every Oscar race checkpoint we're going to be doing a critic scoreboard most likely, uh, which is always fun every year so i don't know if that'll come after a film study or if we'll do another oscar race checkpoint but saltburn wish those are movies we've yet to see maybe we'll do one of those maybe we'll do anatomy of a fall that's going to come to streaming pretty soon i yeah. and i both want to do that one and tackle that one i want to I, I literally want to tackle anatomy of a fall with you asap because that'll be good uh, otherwise it's uh post thanksgiving right mm-hmm. that you're listening to this now and we're heading into the holidays. So I would say avoid your family the rest of the way until you can't <laughs> as the wise move. Just, so until you can't. Yeah, that's wisdom just in general. Just avoid it. Because, right? I mean, I, everybody's nodding their head like big, big nods. Ron Burgundy <laughs> nods, right? No? Uh, yeah. No, you have my stamp of approval with that. Or if you can't. Just go to the movies with them, and then at least you don't have to talk to them. You can watch a movie. <laughs> it's true. Either one. Either way. Sound advice. Uh, Terrible things weekend. to say. <laughs> nope. 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 Proper. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can avoid your family with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you. See you.